the Bible back to Matthew chapter 7, where we read that reading from, what Matt just mentioned, and that's where we're going to be today. Now seems as good as time as ever for us to kind of get honest with ourselves as a church and look ourselves in the the mirror and kind of know who we are and where we're at and what we need to do. I was privileged playing basketball to have some good coaches, and uh, my basketball coaches would often have a review or an evaluation where... Uh, you know, on an off day or something like that, they'd call you into the locker room or into the office and they'd just sit you down and they'd have one of those big, honest talks with you about what all your weaknesses are and all, what all your strengths are and what they really expect from you. It needs to be a lot more out of you, that sort of a thing. And uh, I've tried to carry that over into my family. There's often times in our home where uh, we'll kind of stop what we're doing, we'll gather everybody up in the, in, in the living room and we'll just have an honest talk about uh, what's going in a good direction and what's not, and what's not acceptable, what needs to be changed, and some things that we need to put into perspective, some things that need to be considered, uh, just a good, honest talk, really, of some adjustments that need to happen. It's good for churches to do that as well, and so why not the first Sunday of the year, except for, listen to me, we're not performance-based like so much of life is, okay? We're not performance-based. I don't think about you all, about whether you're good or bad at doing church, right? I don't. I really don't. I really don't, all right? We're about Jesus. Start to finish, we're about Jesus. Beginning to end, we're about Jesus. Inside these walls and outside these walls, we're about Jesus. Don't get us wrong, and please, 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 please do not get me wrong. There are times when we... uh, confuse that message. There are times where I confuse that message and, and I may seem to be about something other than Jesus, but that's where I'm wrong. That's where I'm out of line. That's where we're wrong and that's where we're out of line. At our homes, at our workplaces, in the circles that we keep ourselves, folks, we are to be about Jesus. We are to be about Jesus all day, every day. That's what life is about. And so here on this first Sunday of the year, I want to remind you that. I want to Pray and pray and pray that God would move your heart, that you would be that, that you would be all about Jesus. We're all different, we're all in different places, but that you would be all about Jesus. If you're one of those people that's really into church and you're here a lot and you're one of those that's here two, three, four, five, five days a week doing something at church, right? I want you to be reminded and called this morning that it's not about that, it's about Jesus. You can be here a lot, but make sure it's about Jesus. We're not performance-based, right? There are no awards in heaven for how often you're at church. There really aren't. The awards in heaven are for people who believe, right? If you're one of those people that the most you do is show up to this, right? And even that's maybe once or twice a month, right? I want to remind you that life's about Jesus, all right? I want to remind you that it's all about Jesus for you too, right? And everything in your life, whatever it is that keeps you from being here more often than what you are, may those things be brought to the Lordship of Christ, that it would be all about Jesus for you. If you're here today and and you don't believe, and you're here just checking it out, and you've been counting the cost, and you saw Katie get baptized this morning, and you thought, man, maybe it's time for me to get baptized. I want to remind you that life is to be all about Jesus. He is the answer. He's the alpha and the omega, and it's to be all about, about him. And perhaps here today, you would say, I want it to be all about Jesus. 
Maybe you're here today and you've got a lot of family and so you're, you're busy, your schedule is full and it's always one thing to the next, one thing to the next and when your schedule is full, what, what you have to worry about is getting to the next thing and getting it done. I wanna remind you that even that is all about Jesus. There's no sense in running the rat race if Christ is not in perspective. There's no sense in a full calendar. There's no sense in getting a lot accomplished if it's not all about Jesus. Church, we are to be all about Jesus. And whatever God decides to do with our church, big or small, uh, more growth, less growth, whatever God is doing, it is our responsibility to say Christ is Lord. Christ is King. He is a savior, and that's what we are to be about. I remember when Pastor Jake Beatty preached a couple years ago, and he said a line that I've never forgotten. I wrote it in front of my Bible. It says, we are to be faithful. God is in charge of the results. I love that. We are to be about Jesus. And whatever God does with us being about Jesus, so be it. To God be the glory. But we are to be about Jesus. And when you come to church and you sit under the word of God, God will move and turn your heart to being all about Jesus. And that's what we're wanting this to happen. Our church mission statement is on the front of the bulletin every single Sunday. And it is simple. When we formed this mission statement about 10 years ago, we wanted it to be short and sweet. It says this, we exist to proclaim Jesus while loving and serving both God and people. We do, we do, we do, we do want to love everybody. We do want to serve everybody. We work hard at that. We want that to be our reputation. We want people to count on us for that, okay? But we do that as a way of helping us further tell people about our Savior. Tell people about Jesus who died on the cross for their sins. Tell people about Jesus as the only way to God, as the only way to heaven, as the only way to eternal life. We want to be able to tell everybody that we can that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, and if they will repent and turn away from their sins and run to God seeking forgiveness, then God will save them, forgive them, and welcome them into their family. And everything that we do in our lives as a church is to be able to Help us have those conversations. We exist to proclaim Jesus. We don't leave it at we exist to proclaim Jesus. We say we exist to proclaim Jesus while loving and serving both God and people. That's what we are about. I want to remind us here today that we want to be about that. I want to continue to be about that. And to be quite honest, we need to get better at being about that. We need to understand that a church is made up of individuals. The church is the people. We are not 413 Fairdale Road. That's just the property that the church owns. We are not this building. This is just the building that the church owns. We are the church. If you're a member of our church, then you are the church, and you exist for that purpose. You don't come to this church so that I will do that mission statement. You don't come to this church so that our youth ministry does that mission statement. Literally, you exist to tell people about Jesus, and you are to do that while you love and serve both God and people. When we start thinking along those lines, we see a great strategy that God has in placing us where he's placed us. There's a reason why you live in that neighborhood. There's a reason why you work at that place. There's a reason why you coach that ball team. And there's a reason why God gave you all those kids that connect you to all those kids that connect you to all those parents of those kids, right? That's God's strategy so that all of us can be proclaiming Jesus in so many different ways. Our strategy is not, listen to me, my strategy, your strategy is not, y'all get them here and I'll tell them. That's not it. That's not it. Sermons are too long for that to be effective, right? 
We know better than that. Our mission is for we, us, to tell people about Jesus. If you'd forgotten that or you've been distracted from that, thank God for a new year where we can focus. I want to turn us to Matthew chapter 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the longest sermon in recorded history from the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest of greatest, the God-man, the King of kings, right? God in the flesh, the greatest teacher ever. Jesus is his longest sermon. People love to study the greats' messages, right? We love to listen to those great guys' talks. You don't want to go back and read history. We love to read. Well, this is the longest sermon ever from Jesus. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a good one. Jesus does not hold back. He pulls no punches. He looks at you. He looks at you. He looks at you. You struggle with anger. He hits it. You struggle with lust. He hits it. You struggle with divorce, which we do in our country. You struggle with divorce. He hits it. You struggle with pride. He hits it. You struggle with being very religious and proud of yourself. He hits it. You struggle with not being religious. You're not that into God. He hits it, right? Struggle with emotions. He starts the sermon with the Beatitudes. You struggle with emotions. He starts the sermon with Beatitudes. You think life's not fair and that you're a good person and why do bad things happen to good people? He drills it at the very beginning and he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's a good thing. And then he goes on, he says, blessed are you when others revile you. They talk bad about you. They persecute you. They utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad that that's happening to you. This is a sermon for the real church. This is a sermon for the people who are ready to toe the line and say, yes, it's all about Jesus for me. If you can't handle it, you can't handle it. But that's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. It is not one where he's hoping that they don't get mad at him from preaching. The Sermon on the Mount is absolutely outstanding. And he gets to the end of chapter 7. You can see that this means something to Christ because he starts warning against falsehood. He starts warning against falsehood. Read with me. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone then, this is his closing, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell And the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So Jesus ends by saying, there are wise people, and there are foolish people, and it really comes down to what they have done, and that's going to be a huge emphasis here today, what they have done with what they have heard from God. What they have done, what they have heard from God. But remember, I said he's addressing falsehood, so let me show you. If you go back to the passage before He's talking about false professions. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You go back to the passage before that, beginning at verse 15, he says, beware of false prophets. You go back to the passage before that, verse 13, and he says this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And look at this. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. 
when we paint Christianity as being good and, and better and, and easy, we've not been honest to the teachings of Jesus. Jesus just said it's good, but it's hard. He says that very clearly in verse 14. He says it's hard and few find it. That's Christianity. That's the message. It's hard and few find it. This way is hard and few find it. That's what he says. And then he warns, and I walked backwards, and I'm going to walk back through it. Then he warns of false prophets, meaning if you're wanting to be a Christian, even though it's hard, you're in it. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to be aware there are a lot of bad messages out there. There are a lot of people telling you what is of God, but it's not really of God. There are a lot of people telling you what God wants for you or what God says or what this should be like, but it's not really real. And he warns of falsehood. He warns of false teachers. He warns of false prophets. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. You and I are not to just go off what somebody says. We don't like good sermons. We like good sermons that come from lives that back up the sermon, right? We don't like people that talk well. We like people that talk well because their life backs up what they've been teaching, right? And that's what Jesus teaches us. Just because somebody says good things doesn't mean we listen to them and follow them. Just because somebody says what's true does not mean that we listen to them and that we follow them, right? There has to be a sense in us where we are so committed to Jesus and truth that we're looking for this to be really of Jesus and really of the truth, not just in what it sounds like, but what goes with it. And he's warning false prophets. He's warning, who do you listen to? And, and there's a lot more listening in our lives than 1045 on Sunday morning. This is one hour out of 168. 168 hours in a week, you hear a lot of messages. You hear dad talk at home, right? And dad talking at home is way more powerful than me talking here for one hour. We're more influenced by our dads than we are by me. So who do we listen to? What do we think is right? What are we okay with? What's acceptable to us? And Jesus warns that we would not be led or fed by those false prophets. But we can't stop there and put all of the blame on listening to the wrong teachers. In, in other words, saying it's their fault. It does carry over into the hearers. And so he says at verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, now check this out. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So there are false teachers, but there are also false professors, false believers, people who have been saying their whole lives that they're Christian, people who have been in their mind thinking that they are doing Christian things of God, but they're not real. There is a, a way to gauge this. There is a looking in the mirror, as Matt McBroom prayed, to examine or evaluate what, what, what's going on here. And this passage in Jesus' sermon is to really, really shake us up. And when you see all of that, it leaves you going, okay, okay, I, I hear you, Josh. I, I hear you in these first few minutes of your sermon. Well, then how do we know what's the real thing? And I love, I love us asking that. I hope you are asking that. I hope you are asking, am I the real thing? Or will I be like verses 21 to 23? I've been calling him Lord all this time, but he doesn't even know me. How do we know which is the real? And then you see what Jesus is saying. 
He likens us to a built house. And he talks about the strength of the house. And he talks about the strength of the house based off the, listen, foundation of the house. He relates us, humans, to houses being built. And he puts emphasis on the foundation. Let's read it again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So we have to ask ourselves, are we a house being built? Are we a house being built on the words of God? Are we a house being built on the words of God and we know what the foundation of that house being built is? This, this is what Jesus wants us to deal with. The foundation is clearly critical. With the right foundation, a building may well withstand the severest testing. J.C. Ryle says the day of judgment will reveal strange things. The hopes of many who were thought great Christians while they lived will be utterly confounded. The rottenness of their religion will be exposed and put to shame before the whole world. Now the problem with reading quotes like this is we start going, yeah, I know that. There are, there are a lot of punks out there in the name of Jesus, right? But as soon as I start thinking about all the punks out there in the name of Jesus, I start asking myself, well, wait a second, am I one of those? <laughs> and this is where God wants us to be. He does want us in a healthy way to kind of look around and say, man, do we got any of these fakes in our midst? But he first wants us to look in the mirror and say, am I, am I the real thing? Am I that committed to his word? Is his, his word the foundation of my life? But not just the foundation of my life, but is his word the foundation of my life that I'm now being built up on? He goes on to say, it will then be proved that to be saved means something more than making a profession. We must make a practice of our Christianity as well as a profession. Let us often think of that great day. Let us often judge ourselves that we be not judged and condemned by the Lord. Whatever else we are, listen to this, let us aim at being real, true, and sincere. I don't care what you are. Be real, true, and sincere about Jesus. There's forgiveness all day long. Our Lord Jesus teaches that we will forgive forever. We will forgive forever. We don't run out of forgiveness. He doesn't run out of forgiveness. But we must be real and sincere about our sins. We must be willing to say, I was wrong. We must be willing to repent. We must, be really, we must be willing to apologize. See, we are about Jesus. And we are about helping people get to Jesus. Well, when you start studying Jesus, there's a lot there, as I've just shown you in a few minutes here in the Sermon on the Mount. And so just being about Jesus is, is not really what this is getting at. He wants us to see the foundation and, 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 and the wisdom here. Well, I want to point out that this is about strength in Christ. 
This is about a foundation. This is about a building. This is about a structure that's going to be able to stand or withstand the, 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 the trials or withstand the storm as he's talking about. Y'all ever played the game Jenga? Y'all know that game? Little wooden blocks, you do three this way, three that way, and you try to pull one out, right? And you, you, you keep pulling them out until it falls over, right? And, and, and sure enough, you've got somebody that's a cut up in here at the start of the game. They take like two off of each side at the very bottom. And so this whole big tower of blocks is now sitting on one little thing, right? Y'all have all done that before, right? And everybody knows as soon as you start playing, like, oh man, this thing's about to fall. Jesus is saying that very thing about life. Jesus is saying that if our lives are not built on his words, listen, if our lives are not built on his words, it will not last. Now, we know everybody's life's different. I'm not saying that you're about to get bad news and, 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 and get a horrible medical report and so life's gonna fall apart and you better have Jesus to get you through it. That's not what I'm meaning. All of our lives go in different directions. Some of y'all's lives are so favored that everything's good. You look good, you play good, you, look, you got good friends, you got good money, you got everything. Life's just all good for you. And most of the world is, is jealous of you and envious of you. Some of that's the way it is. But guess what? You're gonna hit a reality one day when you meet God face to face. You may not hit a storm your whole life. Some people try to make their message that one day the storm's coming and when the storm does come, you better have Jesus. It may not. Some people have a good life all the way through. Some people, listen to me, some people go to their deathbed and they literally say, I've had nothing but a great life. I'm ready to die in peace. Baloney. You're not. If you don't know Jesus, a great life with nothing but blessing and health and money is about to hit the storm on the other side. You understand that? Because life's about Jesus. Life's not about goodness. It's not about circumstances. It's about Jesus. And I don't know what the storm is. He does mention a storm, and I don't know what the storm is. And I'm praying that you don't hit the storm soon. But I'm praying that whatever that storm is for you, you've got Jesus as the foundation, his words, the foundation, whatever it is. And that's what we gotta understand. I remember when I was a kid, I'll never forget this. I remember when I was a kid, there were a bunch of kids in the neighborhood, and a buddy of mine, I must have been seven, eight, nine, ten, something like that. And a buddy of mine that lived next door, we played together all the time, he had a little brother. I remember one day they came, they came out and he was in a, in a full wheelchair and he was in a body cast. Y'all know what a body cast is? It just sounds miserable for a little boy to be in a body cast. He was in a full body cast. And we were all like, oh my goodness, what in the world, what happened? His dad comes out and says, he got into the attic he was running through the attic, and he wasn't stepping on the, on the wooden joists, and he stepped right on the, the itchy stuff, whatever you call that stuff, the fiberglass, yeah, interactive sermon here. He, he stepped, on the, he stepped on, the, on the fiberglass and went straight through the ceiling. The little boy fell all the way to the ground and broke his back, and I'll never forget my dad going, that stuff won't hold you up. That's how my dad talks. Because I remember going, well, you mean, why, I remember saying something like, you mean you can't step there? No, son, that stuff won't hold you up. That little piece of sheetrock that is the ceiling that has fiberglass on top of it, you cannot stand on that. It will not hold you up. And listen, Jesus is saying to us, and, and, and the challenge here today is do you believe it? That stuff won't hold you up, folks, no matter what you're saying it is. 
Awesome parents, I won't hold you up. Good school, good friends, that stuff won't hold you up. Now, it, it may hold you up for a little bit. It may hold you up in, in this life. It won't hold you up forever. It won't. This is how Jesus ends his sermon. You're wise to believe him. You're foolish to not. It is all about Jesus. Ryle goes on to say this. The wise man does not content himself with listening to exhortations to repent. He doesn't like sermons. He doesn't like sermons about Christ and like sermons about believing in Christ and living a holy life. He doesn't just do that. Listen to what he says. He says he actually hears a sermon and repents. He actually hears it and believes. He actually ceases to do evil in his own life. He wants to be less evil. He learns to do well. He abhors that which is sinful and he cleaves to that which is good. He does what James 1.22 is, and I love this about Matt because Matt prayed this verse. He does what James 1.22 says, we are doers of the word and not only hearers of the word. For hearers only of the word, James says, are deceiving themselves. So you might love First Baptist Fairdale. You might love church. You might love going to church. You might love that you're here today. You might love my preaching slight chance, but you might love my preaching. You might, you might really think you get a lot out of it, right? You might have all of that sort of stuff going on, and Jesus and James say, that's just the start of it. Look what he says right here in Matthew chapter 7. 24 says everyone. 26 says everyone. 24 says everyone who hears. 26 says everyone who hears. 24 says, everyone who hears the words of mine. And 26 says, everyone who hears the words of mine. So guess what? You hearing the word of God is a great thing. It is a part of moving in the right direction. It's a part of you being all about Jesus. But it is not, it is not, it's not, it's not even close to being all of the thing. Do you hear me? Hearing the words of Jesus is a part of going in the right direction, but it is not going all the way in the right direction. I'm really proud that a lot of y'all have been really committed to church. You're getting more, more committed to church, and that's a good thing. And the word of God in your life is the number one way that God will go to work on your heart. It is the number one way that God will go to work in your heart, his word getting inside of you. But hearing the word only is not the end. It's not. This passage, along with other passage, passages, are saying to us that we hear the word, we receive it, and then we do it. That's a hard message to hear. That's a hard message to hear. The world is full of people who attend church and are unmoved by it. The world is full of people who read the Bible and are unmoved by it. The world is full of Christians who hear the word but are unmoved by it. And Jesus says those Christians that hear the word are not really Christians. Christians hear the word and do it. That's what he says. That's what this is saying. It is one thing to hear what he said. It is another thing to approve of what he said. 
And it's quite another to obey. I find it fascinating to be a pastor in a community because there's been quite a bit of support of people affirming me. A lot of pats on the back, a lot of thank yous, uh, a lot of free lunches. But I'll just be honest, there are a lot of those people who don't believe what I believe, and they know they don't. They want to affirm me and whatever they think I stand for, but they don't want to be about it. That ain't good. That's not good. Jesus is warning against that. We bring ourselves to the words of Christ, we process it, we think about it, we get into it, and we do it. So those two observations, everyone and then hearing and doing, everyone is, it's fascinating that Jesus says that because Christianity, listen, is very exclusive. It is exclusive. Christianity is only for people who will follow Christ. It is exclusive. Not everybody will be saved. Not everybody is in the love of God. Everybody is loved by God, but not everybody is in the love of God. You get into the love of God by repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ. So it's very exclusive. There are a lot of people who are not being saved. It says that there. It's wide. I mean, you go that way. It's exclusive. But the beautiful thing about Christianity is that, exclu that exclusive group is for everyone. A lot of times exclusive groups are invitation only, right? A lot of times exclusive groups are invitation only. We've all heard before, said before, well, hey, I didn't get invited, right? Hey, we had a great time at that party. He said, well, hey, I didn't get invited, right? The other night, Jake was hanging out. We had some buddies watching a football game. I said, I used to get invited to those things, Jake. Right? I felt like, man, I got excluded from that. Right? We're just teasing. I'm okay with that. But you, you know what I'm saying about an exclusive group. There's usually an invitation. But here's the beauty of God. Listen, folks. God's exclusive group is open to everybody. It says everyone right there. God's exclusive group, you must be in Christ, is open to everybody. Everyone Everyone, everyone is how Christ ends his sermon. Hey, don't listen to the people who try to misrepresent Christ, right? It is not just for people with a certain skin color. It is not just for people who are born in a certain place. It is not just for people who have a certain amount of education. It is not just for people who have a certain uh, amount of income. None of that is true. None of that is of God. None of that is of the Bible. None of that is fair and truthful from Jesus. It is for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will believe in him will be saved. Everyone, 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 it says here. And you know what that means? That means that everyone we meet, we think about this, if you want to be about Jesus. This is means that we think about This is one of the reasons why we love having a, a dare to care, because we have people coming through our church like crazy now, getting food, lots of food, and we praise God for this. But we must maintain the, the focus of, do they know Jesus? Are their sins forgiven? Do they have a relationship with God? Do they know that he loves them? What's going to happen to them when they die? A lot of times people come through Dare to Care and they tell us that they've got stage four cancer, right? Well, that alerts us or should alert us right away to, man, I hope they're ready. I hope they're ready to die. I hope they're at peace with God. I hope they're thinking about what really matters. 
See, when God says everyone in his word, it gets us thinking about everyone, every single person, every student at the school, every student on your street, every neighbor that you've got, every coworker. Do they know God? Do they know God? Do they know God? And our church's mission statement says that you are there to tell them about Jesus. That's why God has you there. That's what we exist for. Have they heard? Do they believe? Are they building their lives on Christ? And our church's mission statement says that while we have that heart, we're going to love and serve like crazy. And I, I don't like it when, when we brag. I don't even like churches bragging, and it's really common for churches to brag now. And I don't like us to. And we're a small group in here, and, 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 in, and in large part, you're, you're all a part of the church. And so I, I want to say a few things, okay? I'm not bragging. I'm informing the church. This past year, we gave a warm, hot meal to mouths of over 1,000 students in the community. A warm, hot meal to over 1,000 students in the community. That's, that's pretty good, y'all. At $5 a meal, which believe me, these meals are way better than $5 a meal, right? That'd be $5,000, okay? At $10, at $10 a meal, $10,000, all right? This past year, we gave, on multiple occasions, a handwritten thank you and a gift card to a coffee shop to every single teacher at one of the schools around here. Coral Ridge Elementary School, Fairdale Elementary School, uh, Fairdale High School, every single teacher. You're talking of hundreds and hundreds of teachers, a handwritten thank you, we appreciate what you do, and a gift card. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. That's a lot, That's a lot right? With Dare to Care, we could go on. We're talking thousands upon thousands of households getting grocery carts full of groceries. There's a lot there, okay? Jesus is teaching us that that was not the end goal. The end goal is for us to tell those people about Christ. Now, praise God that it's our heart and that we understand all, all of this, that we will lay down our lives and, and love and serve in such a way that helps us. And praise God that in most of these avenues, in most of these situations, we do have the opportunity to speak the gospel and speak Jesus into this, but that is what we are supposed to be doing. Every person that we know, that we get to be with, that we get to be around, that we get to interact with, we want them to know Christ. Because if they don't, they don't build their lives on what Christ says, Jesus says they are like a foolish person who's built their life on sand. And when the storm comes, it will not be able to stand. Hearing and doing. Everyone who hears my words and does them, wise man. Everyone who hears my words and doesn't do them, foolish man. One commentator says, doing words, because that's what Jesus says, doing words is a somewhat curious expression, but clearly it means that the person in view is not content with admiring outstanding teaching. Make sure that's not you. We're not content to admire outstanding teaching. No, here's what it is. Doing words means 
that person makes it his guide and models his life on it. This is the way Jesus ends his sermon, and it is fascinating. We are to find ourselves at the end of the Sermon on the Mount asking, well, I know I have heard, I know who Jesus is, I know what Jesus says, but what have I done with it? What's it doing to me? And can I honestly say that I have built, built my life on what he says? Because what tends to happen, okay, what tends to happen is we are building our lives. What kind of job we have has some influence on that. What type of upbringing we had has some kind of influence on that. The people that we run with often has a real influence on some of the decisions we make. And and that can be good, but a lot of times it's bad. Often we are building our lives, listen, and then we hope that we can put enough church on it to where whatever we've built is gonna get us to heaven. And then we just often say, I know I'm not what I should be. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not good enough. And we just say this kind of shallow lip service that we know we're not really building our lives on him. And that's so common. And I'm wanting us here today to say, I hear how he ends his sermon. I hear the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I want to be the wise man. I want to start building every day, every bit of me on his words. Now, if that's the most you've ever heard about the Sermon on the Mount, then you can slip into thinking that this is a sermon on morality and that that's really Christ's message, and it's not. Christ's Sermon on the Mount sets such a high standard that you are not to leave the Sermon on the Mount going, all right, first end of the year, I'm gonna do better. That's not it. That's not it. Christ has shown us in the Sermon on the Mount what he's like. Christ has shown us here how complete he is, how exact he is. He's God. And when you and I read this or hear this, and the word of God is working on us by the power of God through the spirit of God, and it's working on us, and you're sitting here going, I do want to build my life on him. I do want to be the wise man. When you're thinking that, He doesn't want you to go and first work on obedience to this. He wants you to surrender to him in repentance. He wants you to say, God, I can't keep this. I tried the first Sunday of last year to do better. And I'm in the same spot. The Sermon on the Mount sets a standard so high that only the Holy Son of God obeys it completely and you are to hear that the Holy Son of God who obeys it completely has obeyed it completely for your salvation and when he obeyed it completely, completely fulfilling the law, completely being obedient and holy and perfect and righteous, then he took himself to the cross and he died on the cross for you 
so that you can come to God saying, God, I can't. God, I'm not able to. God, forgive me. And when you truly bow down and say, God, I need you, forgive me. I need you to completely complete me. I need you to help me. At that point, listen, at that point, you're starting to build the foundation. That's where it happens. And so building your life on the foundation is not playing Jenga. I got to set that thing on there perfectly just like that. I, gotta, I don't want to knock it over. That's not what he's meaning by building. Y'all, it's hard to build a house. It's hard to play Jenga. It's hard to obey God. He's not asking you to. He's asking you to surrender, submit. He's asking you to repent. He's asking you to bow your life and say, God, I need you. And when you do that, he forgives you of all your sins. When you come to God in true repentance, he forgives you of all your sins and he accepts you into his relationship and you are his child no matter what. Forever, you're his child. And it's never performance-based. And so as long as you're repentant of your sin and trusting in Christ, you are in his family. He's your father, you're his son, you're adopted in, you're his child, and it's all because of Jesus. You can't get any worse and fall out of it. You can't get any better and grow out of it. You are there by faith in the completed work of Christ. That's what he says. Then you've got the foundation. And then everything you do, you're good, you're bad, everything you do is now building on what his word says. Not at all trying to get you somewhere completely because of Jesus. And when you sin, you say, God, I need forgiveness. He talks about forgiveness in there. You remember the Lord's Prayer? It's there, right? So in this passage where he's talking about building, he's talking about forgiveness. You remember the passage where he says, if you don't forgive those, if you can't forgive others, then your Father won't forgive you? That's there in the Sermon on the Mount. This is not about obedience. This is about trusting in Christ as the foundation for your life, and then out of that, walking in obedience. And that's where you're built, and obedience is often seen in our disobedience. And I love to make this point. I've made it often. Sometimes the best obedience that you can do, the best way for you to obey is to admit that you disobeyed. That's a beautiful thing. The church and Christians are made up of people who say, man, I really messed up. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I had my priorities out of order. I, I, I gossiped there. I slandered there. I was angry there. I lied there. I lusted there. Right? That's us. But when we bring that to Christ, we bring that to the cross, and we say, God, that's not of you. That's not who I want to be. God, I need forgiveness. Christ died for that. Then we're still there building. We're building a life of faith. We're building a life of repentance. We're building a life of obedience. We're building a life of obedience in repentance after disobedience, all on the foundation of Christ. And that is what we exist to tell people about. Listen, they heard about church from you. They've heard about the Bible from you. They've heard that Jesus is the reason for the season from you with Christmas. Right? They've heard that. But I wonder, seriously, if they've heard what I just said. I wonder. We think that everybody today has heard about Christ, and maybe they have. They've not heard that. Some of y'all are here today encouraged because you haven't heard that in a while. And I wonder if some of y'all are here today and God just opened up your ears to hear it for the very first time. To believe that Christ is the obedient one. That Jesus is the foundation. And when you lay it all down and you repent and turn to him, he accepts you off, the, uh, off of the obedience of Christ and not yours. 
That's what we're about. We exist to be about that. Everything else in life will not hold us up, but Jesus will. The words of Jesus will. You can be sure that your sins are forgiven through the word of God. You can be sure that your eternal life is in heaven through the word of God. You can be sure. So here we are at the end of the year. I mean, the beginning of the year. And we have to be real <coughs> about are we about Jesus? Are you? Are you like the wise man? Are you like the foolish man? Will the word of God and the words of Jesus hold you up? Let's end our service today by getting ourselves focused on him. By repenting and saying, God, I need you. I want it to be all about you.